Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into our sermon for today. Go ahead and grab your message notes that you're handed if you're here in person at West or East Campus. Grab your Connect folder and you're handed on your way in. And you can pull up the sermon notes on there. If you're streaming online at Community Help Online, you can follow some of the scriptures and the tabs uh, that are on our church online platform. Here's what we're doing. We're in a series called Promised Land. Everyone say that with me. Promised Land. Now, Promised Land is a really unique thing that we're trying out. We're experimenting with as a church. We're trying to do... Our whole church, all ages, all expressions of community of hope, all campuses, all languages are all doing this series. So it's not just happening in church on the weekend. It's happening at West Campus, East Campus, CUH Espanol, as well as in Kids of Hope, as well as in our student ministry. Everybody is doing Promised Land. Pretty cool, right? So if you, uh, we just love families in our church. We love family. So if you have kids or if you have students, um, we're all learning the same thing in the same series together. So we're experimenting with it to see if it's a cool thing to create some conversations with family. So here's what we're in. We're in our theme verse for this series. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to be working on memorizing this across the next few weeks. We're going to read it out loud all together as one, as one church in all of our campuses. Ready? Go. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we're taking the next few weeks to study the promises of God together as a church. Now, last week we kicked off our series. What we're doing is we're taking an exploration through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. And the promise that we explored last week in Daniel chapter one is this, God blesses and uses our obedience. God blesses and uses our obedience. We had a lot of families that crossed both of our campuses or out of town for a great 4th of July weekend. You can go online and download that from whatever campus to catch yourself up. But here's the gist of it. God blesses and uses our obedience. In fact, at the East Campus, our very own Executive Director of Creative Arts, Billy Langley, he preached a great message at the East Campus. So if you're East, can we honor Billy? And at West, can we honor Billy too? Can we honor him? Very good. So it was a great week, and now here we are. We are in Promised Land week two. So let's, let's familiar ourselves again with where we're at in the story in the book of Daniel. We're in the Babylonian Empire. We're in Babylon. The people of God have been exiled out of Jerusalem, away from the promised land, into a foreign nation, the Babylonian Empire. Here's a picture of uh, just an artistic rendering of what archaeologists think the ancient city of Babylonia or Babylon looked like in particular. You can't go there today. It's been lost to antiquity. Um, But the ancient city of Babylon existed about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad, Iraq, And so this is kind of where we're at today. The ruler and the king of the Babylonian Empire is a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And here's um, an artistic rendering of him that archaeologists have dug up. Handsome devil, isn't he? Now, if you don't necessarily connect with that type of art, here's a different picture of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, This is taken from... 
Yeah, this is taken from the Bible series, which was a TV show on NBC a few years ago. You remember that when that came out? It's a big deal. It's on Netflix right now. And this story that we're going to be reading today is in this series. I believe it's episode five. So if you want to go home and steal you know, your brother's Netflix account to watch or whatever, I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm kidding. Don't steal. You get what, gosh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so um, go watch this on Netflix later on or where, however, uh, it's a cool thing. So this is Nebuchadnezzar and we're Daniel chapter two. Now chapter two is a long chapter. There's 50 verses in Daniel chapter two, but don't worry. We're not going to read all of it here. We're going to read a little section, but let me catch you up before we hop into verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the world superpower at the time, Babylon, starts having bad dreams. Now, he doesn't have one bad dream. If you have one bad dream, it's probably the pizza you ate at night, right? Who should have skipped the extra spicy pepperoni? Oh, no. Um, But he begins to have a consecutive series of bad, disturbing dreams that keep coming up again and again and again to him. In the ancient world, and even in much of the world today outside of Western civilization, we've convinced ourselves in the Western world that we're too smart for this type of thing to happen to us. But this is a real deal. In all of human history, in every single culture, for all of the human race, dreams are counted as significant. They are. Now, not all dreams are significant. Not all dreams are spiritual. Sometimes you had a weird dream because you watched Stranger Things before you went to bed. So, you know, there's that. But sometimes dreams are significant. Sometimes dreams are something from the supernatural realm reaching out, trying to communicate to people. Clearly, everyone in the ancient world believed this. Many people in our society believe this. And most most of everybody, like I said, outside of the Western worldview today in the world still believes this. Not all dreams, but some dreams sometimes seem to have spiritual significance attached to it. And this is what's happening to Nebuchadnezzar, consecutive of the same bad dream in a row. He thinks something is trying to tell him something. And so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know the meaning of these dreams. They're strange. They're mysterious, full of imagery. He doesn't know what they mean, but he keeps having them. So what he does is he calls together all the spiritual leaders of the Babylonian empire, his sorcerers, his astrologers, his magicians, and whoever else. And because it's a pagan nation, they don't know anything about the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's just trying to reach out in the spiritual world however he best knows how and ask them for help to interpret his dream. And he says, I want you, you spiritual wise men, to help me figure out my dream. And they say, of course, you're king. How may we serve you? He goes, ah, but there's a catch. Not only do I want you to interpret the dream for me with your spiritual practices and knowledge and power that you have, not only interpret the dream, I want you to tell me the dream without me giving you any clues. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) Why would somebody do this? I bet it's because Nebuchadnezzar is a, he's a wise leader. He's very cunning. He realizes that these guys are a bunch of hack jobs. And he realizes people are pulling one over on him. He's getting manipulated by so-called spiritual people. And so he's, all right, so if you're really spiritual... You're really the wise men of Babylon? Great. Tell me my own dream by your spiritual practices and then interpret it for me and then I'll know I should listen to you. And so how do they react? There is no one in Babylon who could do this, king. You are crazy. And he looks at me, you're right. 
I am crazy. I'm crazy mad at you because you all are phonies and fakes. And he gives the order to his guard. His officer says, all these guys are con men. Kill them all. Kill them all. And so we jump into Daniel, verse 14. And here's the story. So the title of today's message we're calling Daniel Dreams and Death Sentences. Daniel chapter 2, verse 14. It's on your notes. It's on the screen. Let's dive in. It says this here. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. See, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we learned about last week, they're counted in the company of these wise men and these spiritual leaders of Babylon. And so not only are all these other people going to die, Daniel and his friends are going to be executed too. And that's why Daniel goes to the king. Verse 17, so Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Wow. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Would you pray with me? So God of Daniel, God of his ancestors, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We call upon you now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, our simple prayer, uh, I pray just the words of the psalmist for all of us here in this room at West Campus and through the gift of technology at the East Campus and online and anybody listening to this later on. My prayer is for us now that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Lord, help us to see wonderful things today in your word and to hear from you and to hear your heart through the words and the story of Daniel today, not just to learn something, but to have you speak to us and our life and our hearts through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So when talking about the Bible and when reading the Bible, my friends, um, it's important to learn how to see things that the author intends for you to see. Um, it's important to learn how they used, even though they're inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book, 40 authors over a long period of time in three different languages. Uh, Daniel, for instance, when he was writing this book, 
and trying to articulate what he felt like the Holy Spirit was wanting him to convey, retelling the story of his life in Babylon. It's important to know how they were trying to do some of that and what literary devices they used as authors to get their point across. For instance, one of them is uh, what's called recurrence. Like when something recurs or repeats itself over and over again, that's important. You should pay attention to that. Young husbands, (laughs) younger husbands here in the room, if your wife says something not once but twice but three times, you should pay attention to it. And all the older men said, amen. (laughs) Okay. And all the ladies said, amen. All right. Anyway, if somebody says something over and over again, it's important. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, this word here, reveal, reveal, is in this chapter alone eight times. Eight times. Nebuchadnezzar talks about it. Daniel talks about it. The narrator talks about it. Over and over and over again. This is the predominant theme of Daniel chapter 2, is this word reveal. So what's the promise that we're going to talk about today in message 2 for promised land? What's this? God reveals things to people who seek him. God reveals things to those who seek him. This is the whole lesson and the promise that we can cling to from Daniel Chapter two. Check out some of these scriptures here with me. Uh, earlier on in our passage, we could just we've seen this before, but I'm just going to point out a few quick things. Daniel two eighteen and nineteen. He urged them, his friends, to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed. The rest of the wise men of Babylon. Nineteen. During the night, the mystery was there. It is revealed to Daniel in a vision. If you're taking notes, underline revealed in the scripture on your notes. Maybe on your Bible app, if you're streaming online, underline that and highlight it. Daniel 2, 22 says that he, here it is again, reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. God reveals things to those who seek him. God is a God who likes to reveal things. Now notice there's two parts of the promise here we're talking about today. On one hand, God is a revealer of things to people. But God does it to those who seek him. God reveals, but it's to those who seek God like Daniel and his friends did. They sought God's face. They prayed all night, and God did it. He reveals things to those who seek him. Jesus talks about this. He promises it in a different wrinkle, in a different way. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, these are the words of Jesus. He said this in context of prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, there it is, and you will find Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Wow. What a promise. God reveals things to those who seek him. Now, when looking at this promise here, you're like, geez, Pastor Trevor, that's descriptive. Things, God reveals Things? Don't you have a master's degree? Couldn't you come up with a better type of word than stuff? Things? Well, God reveals lots of things. So that's the logical question. What does God reveal? Well, it's very clear from Daniel chapter 2, the thing that's immediately right in front of our faces, that God reveals mysteries. God reveals mysteries. That's all over our passage today. God reveals mysteries. 
Um, Daniel, again, acknowledges this all throughout the whole story, so we don't need to rehash all of that. But here's other places in Scripture where this promise of God is communicated, how he reveals mysteries to those who seek him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible uh, comes from Jeremiah 33.3. If you're looking to cling on to the promises of God in this series, I'm about to give you a couple in a row. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So friends, what's a mystery? A mystery is something you don't know. It's as simple as that. So let me ask you here today. What do you not know? It sounds funny. A lot. I don't know what I don't know. Tell me. Well, how about this? James 1.5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom is not just head knowledge, but it's knowing how to apply knowledge to know what to do in certain situations. So what do you not know? How many of you currently are in a situation where you don't know what to do? Don't need to raise your hand. Call to me, and I will tell you great and searchable things you do not know. I had another verse that just popped in my head. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. This just came to me. I believe the prophet Isaiah said this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, there will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. How many of you don't know which way to go in a decision you have to make? Hmm. Check this out. We have words from Jeremiah, words from James, and here are words from a king of Israel named Jehoshaphat. How about that for a name? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king of the kingdom of Judah several hundred years before Daniel, and he was being invaded by foreign armies, and he prayed this prayer in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He says, O God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Anybody here feel powerless over something in your life? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, what Daniel and his friends are showing us, keep that verse up there, guys. What Daniel and his friends are showing us in this passage, it's not so much of tit for tat. If you do this, then God does that. It's not so much of an exchange type of a thing. It's more of a posture of heart of relationship. Then when you don't know something, where do you look? God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes, they're on you. For Christmas this year, um, I got a really romantic, thoughtful gift from my wife, Leah, who's home right now with our new baby, Susanna. Hey, love. Good to see you. She'll be back at church soon. Um, can I show you what you got me for Christmas? It's this picture. It's a car door handle. <laughs> yeah. The friends who know me in the room clapped vigorously, and it hurt my feelings. <laughs> so um, she got me a car door handle for Christmas. Now, you're like, why is that thoughtful? Why is that, you know, really kind of her? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my car. My car, it's a, it's a little old. My car is 15 years old. Um, it's the first car I've ever owned, and I'm still driving it. I'm 35 with three kids. <laughs> uh, my car is 226,000 miles on it, 
It has a lot of dents from hailstorms from living in Kentucky, a lot of rust, and no payments, baby. Oh, yeah. All right. That's the new luxury car, according to Dave Ramsey. Well, my car, because it sat outside for a long period of time, it went through snowstorms in Kentucky, and it has baked in South Florida sun. It's been through some stuff. And so one day, a few years ago, I went to go open up one of the back doors of my car, and went to go pull on the handle, and pop, the handle came off. And at first, it went, oh, my gosh, working out is really paying off. <laughs> I'm so strong. But then a week later, on the other side of the car, we went to go open one of the back doors, pop, the other handle went off. I went, oh no, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> I still have my front two door handles, so it's okay. You know, I could still reach around or whatever. I was taking Leah on a date. I always tried to, I'm not perfect, but I always tried to open the door for her, went to go open the door for her on the passenger side, pop. <laughs> Does it still count if I open it from the inside? Is it still chivalrous to do that? So I still have my driver's side door. Okay, I still got one door handle. And then I kid you not, like a month or whatever later, went to go open the driver's side door outside the office here at church, pop. I sat there going, this is a predicament to have a car with no door handles on it. (laughs) True story, can't make it up, it's real. So 20 or 25 years ago, if you're in my predicament, like I'm not necessarily the most handy guy in the world, like I'm learning, I'm trying, but 20, 25 years ago, I would have had to driven my car to some shop to overpay some person to put on four plastic handles on my car and just paid you know, a ton of money to do that. But nowadays, because of Google, because of YouTube tutorial videos and 20 bucks on a car supply uh, shop, my wife got me a car handle, and here's a picture of me and Kate replacing it. And we did it. Yeah. We're real men now. We fix cars in my house. Yeah. So, you know, it's all fun. Like in this day and age, if you don't know what to do, you can Google it. You can YouTube it. You can look on a form. You can do all sorts of stuff, right? It's great. Except for when something bigger breaks. It's not like a car door handle. Like, what happens when your marriage breaks? Like, what happens when your heart gets broken? What happens when your body starts to break down and your doctors are saying one thing, but you're scared? What happens if there's something deeply broken in your life? What do you do then? Where do you go? You don't know what to do. Well, people still, we Google stuff and we YouTube stuff. And we listen to podcasts and self-help books and uh, blogs. And somebody told me last night, I don't want to date myself, but we used to look at Dear Abby. (laughs) We look at all these sorts of things. There's nothing wrong with those things. I do all of that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, many of you, even if you're healthy and you have friends, some of us get our friends around us. We call friends and we say, I don't know what to do. We talk to our friends about that. And all those things are good and fine. But when was the last time you did what Daniel did. We're sure he reached out to his friends. But instead of just saying, what do you guys think I should do? He said, will you gather around with me? I don't know what to do. But will you pray with me to ask God what to do? When was the last time you asked a circle of friends around you to pray with you to seek the God of heaven who reveals mysteries to people? 
So what ends up happening with Daniel at the end of the story? Well, long story short, he walks into Nebuchadnezzar, tells him his dream, and nails it. And this is what happens next. In Daniel 2, 246, the king, uh, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Daniel got a promotion. Wow. This shows us an important principle of what happens as a result of receiving revelation from God, not like the book of the Bible revelation, but if God has revealed something to you because you sought him for it, what's the result? One, you get influence. Just like Daniel, you get influence. Um, I said this last night or Saturday night service. I can't tell you how many leaders in whatever arena, maybe they're a leader in education or a nonprofit or they're an entrepreneur or they're a business owner or whatever, how many leaders I've spoken to who say that they feel like a fraud because even though they're very successful in whatever arena they're in, they feel like a fraud because all their best ideas came to them when they prayed or when they were at church. And last night when I said that, there are many business leaders I know who are godly, who honor God with their resources, with their influence, with their companies, who just started nodding like crazy. All my best ideas came to me from God about my business, not just spiritual things. See, what happens when you're the type of person who just doesn't have a good idea, but who gets a God idea, you get influence. Because God is leading whatever area of your life through you when you begin to do that. You want to be a person who receives revelation from God because that means God begins to move through you in your life, in your arena, in your sphere. Not only do you get influence, you also are handed responsibility. See, what would have happened to Daniel and his friends, had he not prayed and fasted and sought God, did whatever he needed to do to be revealed the mystery of the king, all these government officials would have died and he and his friends would have died. Now, am I telling you, go home and pray or people are gonna die? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that, but here's what I am saying. There are people in your life who are counting on you if you're a follower of Jesus here in this place, which, by the way, our church is full of people who either have been going to church forever or it's been forever since they've been to church or they've never been to church. Wherever you are, welcome home. You're in the right place, right? Right. right. Wherever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are people in your life who are counting on you to be a friend of God and to know what to do not because of how smart you are, but because you're connected to somebody who always knows what to do. Now, Daniel shows us that God reveals mysteries, but there's one last little wrinkle I want to show you that's really important. 
is not just about getting answers and getting direction and, and getting whatever wisdom we may need for life, that there's something much deeper that's happening here. More than just revealing mysteries, revealing answers or direction or wisdom or whatever we need, the best thing that God reveals, guys, is that God reveals himself. God reveals himself. Look at this in Daniel 2, verse 27. Daniel replied to the king, to Nebuchadnezzar. It's not in your notes. It's in the story. He says, king, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, who reveals mysteries. See, the best thing, guys, that God reveals isn't answers, but himself because he loves people. In Romans 1.20, it says this. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. What the Apostle Paul is saying there is that regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey and your faith journey, people can just walk outside and look at the beauty of creation and have their breath taken away and understand something about God, that something happens in the human heart. You ever had your breath taken away, being in a beautiful scene in nature? To maybe looking at the beach or looking at the Grand Canyon, looking up the trees in forest. I have a friend named Vance, um, who uh, just is a dear friend of mine. And let me tell you about him. Vance used to be a militant atheist, like just an angry, not agnostic. He was an atheist. Now, not, not all atheists are well, this is what he said about himself. He was a jerk, okay? He said it, not me, okay? Not all atheists are jerks. Some atheists are really nice people who just have profound philosophical disagreements with me, and we can still be friends and neighbors and, you know, all sorts of stuff. We just disagree. But then there are some people who are total jerks about it, just like there are some total jerks of Christians, right? Yes. But not community of hope. <laughs> not us, Okay. Now, he, by self-confession, he was a jerk of an atheist. He would embarrass people. He would fight people. He was antagonistic. He was mean-spirited about it. But he had a cousin who was a follower of Jesus. And his cousin, when they were in high school, invited him to go to a camp with him. Pretty cool thing. And he said, sure, mainly because he didn't necessarily want to go to the camp with his cousin. He heard there was pretty girls there, so he said yes. He ends up going to the camp, and one night, they were outside, and there was no clouds out, and it was probably midnight or whatever, and they went out to look at the stars. Have you ever gotten to look up at the stars on a cloudless night when there's no light pollution? I remember when I was a kid, one time I was growing up in Oldsmar, Florida, and all the power went out for the whole city, so not even street lights were on. You could look up, and I saw stars that took my breath away without light pollution. And so the two of them are outside in the middle of this camp looking up at the stars, and his cousin wasn't even trying to make a point, just came out of him like, oh, how can anybody look at this and not believe in God? And my friend Vance was staying next to his cousin and said this, oh, you're right. Vance is now a pastor in Orlando. <laughs> Isn't it funny how God works stuff like that? Yeah. No. That's what theologians call general revelation, where no matter what, more than just answers for what you need to know in life, 
But God is generally trying to reveal himself to people to awaken human hearts, no matter where they're on their spiritual journey, that he's real, that he exists, that he made them, that he loves them and wants to know them. That's general revelation. But God also does something that's very specific, where God's just not okay with people broadly knowing about him, but he wants people to know who he is exactly as he is. It says this in Hebrews chapter 1. Verses one through three. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, the Israelites, through the prophets like Daniel. At many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he spoke it to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he has provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If you're in here and you're spiritually seeking God, if you're maybe interested and you don't know what you believe, but you have questions and you're willing to reach out, you're willing to ask, you're willing to pursue. If you want to know what God is like, let me tell you what God is like. God is just like Jesus because God is Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, God is Christ-like. And so here's a final thought for today. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, for some of us here in this room, you might be like Nebuchadnezzar. You got stuff going on in your life. You think some weird things are happening and maybe something spiritual is pulling at you. Or maybe you're Daniel. You know God. You know him through his son, Jesus. And there are people around you who are dependent on you to help reveal who God is to them. Let me leave you with this promise from scripture. Wherever you are on the spiritual journey, wherever you are on your certainty meter of who God is or not and what you think about Jesus or not, let me just leave you with this promise here for all of us in our spiritual journey. Jeremiah 29, 13. The God of heaven promises you this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Would you pray with me? So God, I pray for uh, everyone here at the West Campus and everyone streaming online right now through whatever device they're on, for everyone at the East Campus who we're broadcasting to right now, wherever we may all be at this moment as one church of community of hope, I pray for everyone that wherever we are in the spiritual journey of knowing you, or being uncertain of you. I pray for grace to take a step towards seeking you and towards knowing you and your son, Jesus. Lord, we say sorry to you for the ways where we have not sought you for our life, for our life's direction, and man, we made a mess of things. Would you forgive us? Lord, we're ready to commit to seek you now, knowing that you promise to be found and to reveal things to those who reach out to you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.